Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, please turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew as we continue in chapter 3. The Gospel of Matthew. Lord willing, we will be finishing Matthew chapter 3 this morning as we consider verses 13 through 17. 13 through 17. Hear now the very word of God written for you and for me today. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you are coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Amen. Thus far the reading of God's holy word, and may God add his blessing to the reading of his word to us. Well, people of God, as the angels heralded the birth of the king, John the Baptist was the foretold herald of the king and his kingdom 30 years later. This camel hair wearing and locust eating prophet, who was set apart for special service unto the Lord, who preached in the spirit and the power and the appearance of Elijah, cried out in the desert wilderness of Judea, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. In other words, the king is coming. Be ready when he comes. Now it's true that much preparation would go into the arrival of a king. Many people would be involved in physical arrangements and getting everything just so and ready, but, but here is the forerunner of Christ preparing and, excuse me, proclaiming these words, not calling for physical adornment and grandeur, but rather the preparation of their hearts. Hear that. For what did the angel tell his father, Zacharias? And what did he tell him that his mission would be? In Luke 1.17, we read, He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to do what? To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And thus, The glorious gospel message that he was given to preach and that the people needed to hear, that we need to hear in preparation, was repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The call to repent, beloved, communicates the presence and the defilement of sin in all people. And the call to repent communicates the estrangement that sinners have with God and 
the need for reconciliation. Now, undoubtedly, many in John's audience thought that they were fine with God. They didn't think that they were at enmity or enemies of God. But every single one of them was. We all are apart from Christ in and of ourselves. And yet something new and radical was about to happen as Christ's kingdom was about to break onto the scene and they weren't ready for it. And thus John's all-important presence and his all-important message. Therefore, they needed to repent. They needed to turn from all of their sins unto Christ and know that there's continuity between John's baptism of repentance and the Trinitarian baptism instituted by Christ. Though both were signs of cleansing and both pointed to the remission of sins, Christian baptism, however, isn't identical with John's baptism. Those baptized by John needed Christian baptism as well. We see this to be true in John 19, verses 1 through 5. The baptism Christ instituted is a sign and seal of initiation pointing to a relationship with Jesus who has come. And John's baptism was an act of preparation, signifying the people's readiness for the Christ that was to come and his judgment. Again, the great reason for John's ministry was to point them to Jesus to point them to the king who came to save his people from their sins, who John said was coming with a winnowing fan in his hand and would clean out his threshing floor. Indeed, though John baptized with water, Christ would baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. Beloved, the fire of the Spirit purifies and sanctifies His people. And Christ gathers the wheat into His barn, and He will burn the chaff, though, with unquenchable fire. And so in our text this morning, we find Jesus coming to John at the Jordan. Let's consider Jesus coming to be baptized by John in verse 13. John's objection to baptizing Jesus in verses 14 and 15. And Jesus being baptized, the the Spirit descending, and the Father speaking in verses 16 and 17. In verse 13, we read, Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And as we consider the significance of Jesus coming to John at the Jordan, it's helpful to know What part of the Jordan John was at? John tells us the location in John 28, 128. We read there, These things were done in Bethabara, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. Now, Bethabara was otherwise known as Bethany. And Bethabara wasn't far from Jerusalem on the east side of the Jordan, about 25 miles from Jerusalem. However, it was about 80 miles from Nazareth. So Jesus traveled those miles, which was about a a 26-hour journey to see John. A long journey. 
to go be with John at the Jordan and be baptized by him. Now, many of you may be thinking, now, now wait, Pastor, I, I can understand Jesus coming to observe what John was doing with the people at the Jordan, uh, but why did Jesus come to be baptized by John? He's the sinless Son of God. He didn't need to repent, and you're right. Jesus is the perfect Son of God. He is God incarnate, and and we'll see the answer regarding why he came in a moment. But in John's gospel, more of the picture is filled in as we see John the Baptist confirm this truth in his words as he saw Jesus coming to him, as he proclaimed the sinlessness of Christ. In John chapter 3, verses 29 through 31, we read this. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, because he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing with water. Again, the forerunner of Christ, coming and heralding the king, coming and telling Israel the one to come. Now, what further insights can we glean about Jesus coming to John here? Well, as John was the herald of the Christ to come in the wilderness, it's fitting that John announced the arrival of the spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world as well. And in referring to the world here, remember that Scripture teaches us in Romans chapter 5, for example, that he came to save all men without distinction, not all men without exception. And though the people's eyes were on John, Though their ears were were listening to him and and they were watching and listening to what he said and what he was doing, baptizing in the Jordan. Jesus is the one preferred before John. He is the one who has preeminence. He is the mighty one whose sandal straps John wasn't worthy to loose, he said, if you remember in Matthew 3 verse 11. This is the great and grand Son of God, the one who has come. And though Scripture doesn't tell us specifically what face-to-face contact John had with Jesus growing up, when John says he didn't know Jesus, he is likely referring to not knowing Jesus is the Lamb of God until the Holy Spirit identified him. However, John knew his mission, and like he said, he therefore came baptizing. And now after seeing Jesus and his desire to be baptized, notice what John did. Look at verse 14 of Matthew 3. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you are coming to me? Beloved, Luke chapter 3 verse 21 tells us that Jesus waited until everyone else had been baptized before going to the water's edge himself. And yet when he did, 
see that the herald tried to stop the king. Similar to Peter forbidding Jesus to wash his feet in John 13, in essence, John the Baptist was saying, whoa, 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 Lord, Uh, what are you doing? You've got this backwards. You're the sinless Lamb of God. I'm the sinner here. I need you to baptize me. Indeed, John knew that he needed to be cleansed from his sin by Jesus and the Holy Spirit of God. But being the sinless Son of God, beloved, Jesus doesn't make mistakes. He knew exactly what needed to be done. He traveled 80 miles to do it. And we see this wonderfully in the answer John and all the people needed to hear. Look at verse 15. But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he allowed him. My friends, notice Jesus didn't dispute John's concern. He didn't dispute it. But rather he pressed that this had to be done because it was fitting. Or in other words, it was proper to fulfill all righteousness. That was the purpose. In being the Messiah born under the law, get this, Jesus had to submit to all God required of his people. Remember, Jesus didn't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it for his people. And therefore, he had to fully identify with those whose sins he came to bear and pay for. For the sins of you and me, and all of his people. And therefore, Jesus' baptism by John proclaimed that he had come to be our substitute that he would receive the divine judgment that was rightfully ours upon himself. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17, a wonderful verse, if you haven't already memorized it, I encourage you to do so. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. To make propitiation is to be our substitute. Substitutionary atonement is what Christ did for us. Speaking of the sin-bearing Messiah, Isaiah foretold in Isaiah 53, verse 11, he shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. And here is what Jesus is coming to do at the water's edge with John, is to be baptized by him in order to identify with the very people that he would bear the sin of. And so John, then having his ignorance cleared by the insight Jesus gave him, allowed him, the text says. And what happened next is glorious. It's glorious. Look at verse 16 of Matthew 3. And when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him, and, and suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, 
in whom I am well pleased. Beloved, in these verses, we not only see Jesus doing what needed to be done to fulfill all righteousness, but also an awesome display of the three persons of the Trinity. Yes, the word Trinity doesn't specifically, uh, it's not specifically found in Scripture, but this passage is clear evidence of all three persons present and active together. And this should not only give us awe and wonder, but it also refutes the modalist argument and claim that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are not distinct persons, but just different modes of God's self-revelation. That's not true. We, we see this even here. And so when Jesus came up immediately from the water, gloriously, the, the heavens were open to him. And notice he didn't confess his sin like the people did in verse 6. For he had none to confess. And as the heavens were opened, the Spirit appeared, descended upon Jesus like a dove and rested upon him. And know that the act of the Spirit of God was anointing Jesus with the Spirit to be the Messiah empowering him for the work of his ministry. It was fitting and it was proper for God to anoint Jesus to the offices of prophet, priest, and king. Beloved, this was a public inauguration. And further, considering Jesus' prophetic office, prophets always spoke by the Spirit of God who came upon them. Here we see the Spirit coming upon Christ. And Isaiah foretold this anointing and and even this resting upon Jesus in Isaiah 61, verse 1, when he said, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. This is the work of the anointed Christ, the Messiah. And now, if if this was an anointing, why was Jesus baptized with water instead of being anointed with oil? Some of you may have that question as you think about this. Oil was an Old Testament symbol of the anointing of the Holy Spirit, But this was the dawning of the new covenant in Christ's blood. Jesus isn't an ordinary prophet, priest, or king. He wasn't just another in the line of succession. Jesus is the Son of God. He is the great and the final prophet. He is the eternal high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus is the eternal king of the kingdom of heaven. And why did the Holy Spirit descend upon him like a dove? It's another good question. It suggested that Christ's work involved gentleness. Consider the language of doves in Matthew 10, 16. And also sorrow. As we see, he is the suffering servant, the man of sorrows. In Isaiah 38, verse 14 And also the new creation, as we consider the work of the Spirit 
In Genesis 1-2, even Genesis 8-10. But then notice Matthew says, And suddenly a voice came from heaven. This is the Father speaking and confirming Jesus to be the true and only begotten Son of God. And importantly, he says, this is the Son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus isn't a Son, beloved, that the Father says, eh, he could be better. No, Jesus is the Father's dearly beloved Son. He is the one who received full approval by his Father for his faithful obedience. God the Father's words here also point us to Jesus being his only begotten Son who was called to sit and serve on God's throne as King. In Isaiah 42, verse 1, we read this, Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my elect one, in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. Again, speaking of Christ, the great king, the great Messiah. Beloved, as you consider this text this morning, see the humble dedication of Christ and his long journey to John and his commitment to do what was fitting to show himself to all that he was obedient to his Father in order to fulfill all righteousness for sinners like you and me. See that here. And praise him for his perfect obedience. Praise him for his righteousness. Even the righteousness that as you trusted in him by faith is now yours and is placed on your account. But see Christ's love as well in doing all that was necessary to be our propitiation. To identify with us that he could take our place under God's holy judgment. And never forget 2 Corinthians 5.21. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is the work of Christ for you, faithful and obedient. And finally, see the awesome presence and approval of the Father and the work of the Holy Spirit in the anointing of Christ. As he was set apart to be the Messiah, he is our prophet, our priest, and our king. Our salvation is found in none other than Jesus Christ the righteous, whom the Holy Spirit descended upon and filled beyond measure. All glory be to him forever and ever. Amen. Praise God for his word. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, all praise be to you. O Son of God, Jesus Christ, all praise be to you. And Holy Spirit, all praise be to you for your wondrous and glorious work in all things and even here in this wonderful display, in this wonderful work. O Lord Jesus, thank you. 
for identifying with us. For becoming like us and identifying with us, for fulfilling all righteousness indeed, that you could rightly and justly take our place. You are the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. All praise be to you, our Redeemer and King. Oh, how we love you. You are worthy. You are righteous. You are holy. You are God. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.